Hi, I'm Jennifer Carter, and thank you for joining me on a podcast for parents, teachers, and administrators. Today's conversation should be a good one, and I'm sure it's something on your mind. So let's get to it. So thank you so much, Doreen, for joining me on Mrs. C's podcast for parents, teachers, and administrators. Can you just give us a little bit of information about your background, what you do, and what's your connection to education? Okay, well, thank you so much for having me. My name is Doreen Johnson, and I serve as the Dean of Studies at Ransom Everglades School in Miami, Florida. And I work with middle school students, and that is my connection to education. I have been working with middle school students for more than 20 years, and it has been the joy of my professional life. How do you like, I mean, what's one thing about middle school students that is different about any of the other levels that you've taught? Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) I would say, (laughs) I think it's all different. (laughs) There are a lot of differences. But the thing that stands out about a middle schooler is that they still have that youthful goodness about them, and Mm -hmm. they are willing to help anybody with anything. And that is this the thing that always stands out to me the most about a middle school student if you keep them busy and helping somebody they are the happiest people on the planet Hmm. I think that's true because I actually worked at a middle school before I you know got this crazy idea to start business um, for myself I worked at a middle school for 10 years and I we did the same I'm I did the job you're currently doing And before we got started, we were just sort of talking about how education is cyclical in nature and things come around (laughs) again and again and again. And so I think at middle school, at that middle school age, many times parents freak out. I I mean, I I noticed that's what's different about parents. In high school, they they freak out about grades to get in. In middle school, they just kind of freak out about everything. Hormones, (laughs) friendships. Am I giving them allowance? Am I, so what, what kinds of things do you tell parents? Well, it's kind of a two-part question. What kind of, kind of things do you tell parents not to freak out about, especially, and this is the second part, when it comes to education? Because we've seen stuff come around so much. Okay. Yes. Well, um, with education, yes, a lot, a lot of times parents are <laughs> very concerned because um, I, I think that Parents don't understand how much students grow mm-hmm. from year to year. It's the second time in their lives when children grow the amount that they do um, from when they're infants, of course, and then when they move into that mm-hmm. 11, 12 range, they're growing and, um, and that they're going to find some things and do some things that they might not normally do. And, um, but, you know, if you serve as a loving guide to them, they're going to be okay. And but to if there are, are if there's a handbook, if there's some set of um, guidelines that the school provides, follow the guidelines. They're mm-hmm. not written to trouble anybody. They're written to help the situation. Mm-hmm. And so if we can, you know, help each other out with the situation, then um, uh, then that helps to kind of mm-hmm. take away some of the stress that's involved with bringing up a youngster who's in school. So follow along, not so much be a follower, but follow along with the rules. If you see that your child's outside of those boundaries, push them on back in, (laughs) and you know, make sure that they're. You know what? I've never really framed it that way. You encourage parents to do that. But I think um, 
I never really thought about it like that. Encouraging parents to just read through the handbook and sort of see where the school's boundaries are. And when kids push up against them, hold them firm. And if they don't know how to hold them firm, that's what they have the school for as a resource to like, here's some strategies to help you hold these boundaries at home. And we will do the same thing at school. I think that's fantastic advice. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's worked for me, but it's also, you know, uh, it, it, it works. But sometimes it, it, it's a little troubling to parents because they feel that, um, you know, they've tried everything. But sometimes it's, it's something as simple as revisiting that handbook, talking to someone who works with children every day. And, yeah. and that makes a difference. And it's not necessarily I know that parents tend to disregard the handbook. But the handbook isn't just rules. It also provides insight to approaches at the school. So in other words, the handbook will let you know, here's why we do what we do. Here's why we teach this way. Here's why there's this much homework. Here's even why we have school dances or why we socialize or, or whatever the case may be. It gives a lot of answers and insight so that parents kind of know the rationale and then it, it it reading those handbooks really offers an opportunity to reduce reaction because yes. then you know you'd have people who never read them and they're like what do you mean nudity is not allowed at school and you're like well it's kind of in the handbook we have address code you know right <laughs> like no one's surprised if oh okay I've read this and I understand this is how my kid has to dress every day. Yes. Yes. And, and, and then it takes the pressure off the parents because you're supporting their child, you know, the school is supporting the child at school and the parent is supporting their own child by helping them to follow the school's expectations. And mm-hmm. then that way the, um, you know, we have less of some of those negative experiences that come along mm-hmm. with, you know, having to be corrected and, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Well, I also actually think it's a positive, very positive, especially for middle school, because middle school, and I and I, I used to say this to parents all the time, your middle school boy comes in this big, mm-hmm. and it's like when you warm your hands together and it gets hotter and hotter, that's what's happening inside your kids so that there's an explosion of growth for when yes. he gets to high school. And with all that internal combustibility, it's unpredictable. You know, boys, you see it because they, they, they will grow significantly. Right. Girls, their bodies change, but it's the same level of combustion inside. Right. When you help your children understand you're going to get out of control and we're here to help you maintain control. I think that's comforting the students because they don't often understand why they're making crazy choices. Why yes. am I crying all the time? Why am I talking back? Why am I doing these things? Right. You know, and no one gives them the heads up like it's normal and eventually it'll stop, but it's going to drive everyone around you crazy for a little while, including, right. you know. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well stated. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so how do you deal with that combustibility? Is that a word? And that combustion you know, at your school and in your position as Dean of Studies. All righty. So, uh, yes, the combustion is, is happening. That, that is my life. <laughs> it happens at different times for different children. So there's never a dull moment. But, um, you know, 
for from from my position as dean of studies, I see it show up in the grades. I see it show up in the classroom behavior, that sort of thing. And so I support the students and the teachers and their parents, and or the students, excuse me, the teachers, the students, and the students' parents, and helping them uh, to understand that it's going to be okay. But then also you have some obligations here. And so you know, now once you see me, that means that you're either asking for a letter of a, rec- of a recommendation or you've had some um, academic troubles. And so uh, it's usually um, the academic troubles and we work it all take, work it all out. We have discussions about how to manage the assignment, how to manage the planner, how to manage the, um, the time and the materials and making sure that there is a common respect for both of us. So when mm-hmm. students come into the meeting, uh, some of them are really uptight because they don't want to see the dean, and uh, some of them ha- uh, show it in different ways. Some of them are really grateful when the period is over, grateful as in they could breathe again. Some of them are grateful because they feel like, oh, I learned something because I actually hold scholarly sessions with the children to help them understand. You know, there's a scholar in there. You just have to, you know, figure out how how it works for you. How how does that work for you? And um, when, um, uh, but some of the children, you know, are uh, feel a little upset and may show some defiance and I let them know you know it um, th- this th- these can be long sessions or they can be these can be short sessions but we're having a session and um, you know we, we work together and try to get through that and um but the the constancy is there where I just show up as the same person every day smile at the children and let them know it's going to be okay Smile at the parents, let them know it's going to be okay. Smile at the teachers and let them know it's going to be okay. <laughs> so everybody gets the same message. And, um, and I, I sound like I'm saying the same thing to everyone because I am. But then also, but I say it in different ways depending on the situation. But the goal is just to make sure that everyone knows that, you know, we, we have to, we can't just let the problem get out of hand. We can, we can turn this thing around and it's going to be all right. And we just have mm-hmm. to work our way through it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think adding that 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 perspective that it's normal, you know, and I'm sure you've said in meetings, like I've seen situations like this before and this usually works or something to that effect to give parents and students some indicator that this is not an insurmountable or it's not like some kind of like the. I watched the TV show New Amsterdam and they always come up with some crazy ailment that, you know, it's hard to say. Like, we don't really encounter that kind of crazy ailment in education. It's usually something very familiar and something very fixable. And helping parents and children see that. Teachers reminding them that they've been, you've had this kid, you know, a version of this before. We can get through it as well. Right. Right. What's your um, go-to strategy to help kids? Like, what's the, the the strategy that you use or that kids need the most? Uh, I when I meet with students, I usually ask them, um, "Tell me about uh, what you would like to achieve as a student." And um, some of them will tell me exactly what it is that they would like to achieve. I I want to go to college one day. I want to be a doctor. I um, you know, I, I want to play soccer when I go to college, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, and, and I, um, ask them about that and, you know, you know, 
their purpose, their goal, that sort of thing. And then um, I asked them, you know, how can I help you get there? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's the best thing I can do to help you? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they don't really have an answer. And I just tell them, I'm going to help you with your planning. <laughs> I'm going to help you with your uh, organizing. And I'm going to help you just make this thing all work so that way you feel successful. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I always tell them, I, I just really want you to feel good about yourself as an individual, and then also about your work as a student. Mm-hmm. And that's that's probably really, it's like mooring, you know, giving them a firmer foundation <clears throat> because a conversation like that will, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, give them like at least a little bit of clarity because right. they're not necessarily thinking, as, you know, um, all over the place. Um at my previous school, we we built in reflection and kids hated it. I'm just going to be honest. They hated it. And they would have to write down reflections for assignments. They would, um, we did an end of, end of the year portfolio where there was an academic piece and then a creative piece. They had to write down um, what they learned about their own learning and put it into narrative form and then share that with their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> They hated it until they realized the discoveries they made about themselves and how those discoveries helped them become more and more successful as they matriculated. Because that conversation of planning that you describe, in most schools, it doesn't happen, you know, and I wish I understand like in public schools, there may be a volume of kids and it may be difficult to get that many kids to, you know, participate in something that's really reflective, but, you know, or maybe it's, it doesn't fit a pacing guide, but without that understanding of yourself, it makes it very, very, who else is going to tell you who else is going to lead you through that process? Right. You know, and I will be pretty blunt, like black and brown students who come from families that may be blue collar, working class, you know, there may not, there may not be a model for that kind of pause within the the dynamics of the household. And I say that not because black and brown people don't know how to reflect, but you know, the data that we have suggests that oftentimes children will come from households where, you know, parents are are working in situations that don't give them the time to reflect and pause. Mm-hmm. I think about um, students at our preschools and the parents at our schools, and it's kind of either in where we have people who work at Amazon, for example, and it's just packages all day. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end, we have people who are like lawyers and it's just work all day. Right. <laughs> and there's, there's, there is no time for, for, for them, you know, parents to sit and pause and think like, what did I learn about my job? How can I do better? Be, but, you know, it's just, you know, just not right. even possible. Right. Right. And we have the great good pleasure of working in one of those professions where that reflection is key because um, eventually we're going to perhaps see that situation again and have to address it or teach that lesson again and have to address it. How do we make it better the next time? Mm-hmm. And um, and sometimes I guess if you you know you do work at 
uh, different sorts of jobs, you, your customers are your reflection. You know, do they come back? Do they, you know, do they let you know if they were satisfied or not? So yeah, I guess um, if they start yelling at you, you know that you said something they didn't like. You know, right? <laughs> that instant reflection. I mean, we get a lot of that in education too, where as educators, um, we don't necessarily we're not encouraged to reflect and pause. So maybe I want to take back my original statement. I'm always thinking of of kids that fall into the achievement gap. So my my go-to is always thinking about black and brown students. But the more we're talking, the more I realize maybe it's just our society. Because do you, I mean, do, do you get chances to like, okay, staff, as part of our staff development, we're going to come up with a way to reflect on the school year and recalibrate for the the coming year. Do you get a lot of that? We do not. We tend to do it at the beginning of the year. What would you like to do? You know, everyone's excited, that sort of thing. But, you know, um, but the the reflection at the end of the school year, no, we are um, looking at what we can do for next year for the children Mm -hmm. and our our articulation meetings, but we don't necessarily look at what we need to do. We are encouraged to... um, complete some sort of professional development over the summer. But, um, you know, every teacher knows, you know, over the summer, you're just trying to recover from the school year for the first five weeks. And the next five weeks, you, you're trying to maybe get a jump on your lesson plans if you can. <laughs> and, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So I have to say, sometimes you have to make yourself do the reflection. And I um, uh, have been really fortunate in my career to have had that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So when I was um, earning my, uh, working towards my national board certificate, um, I had the opportunity, one of the pieces is reflection, it's all about the reflection. And so that was, that was intense, but it was a good habit to get into mm-hmm. because sometimes, you, you know, you teach for years and, you know, you're working real hard and um, next year with the same November project comes up and. October 31st, you're trying to get it in order. <laughs> and, um, you know, as opposed to maybe taking it a little piece at a time, you know, it's November, it's November 15th. Let me see how that unit's going. And mm-hmm. when it finishes on November 30th, mm-hmm. you know, let me write down the five things I'm going to fix about this particular unit <laughs> and then and then keep moving. So that mm-hmm. way, you know, next year when it comes around, you know, I'm ready for it. Right. And um, and that was the thing that I really appreciated about that experience there's my yeah. certificate there. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I remember when you were working on that. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. So this is uh, the second time around. So this will, uh, when I, when this cycle ends, that will be 20 years. Wow. Shocking how quickly the years have gone by. It's been 20 years. Well, well, I got the first one in um, November, 2009. And then I, um, recertified back in um 2019 i can't even believe how time i'm not even going to talk about time as a as a constant reminder but um the reflection i'll distract us with talking about reflection so we don't think about how old we are um i had a how young we are (laughs) (laughs) you know try try to frame it away that uh, Um, I, part of my teacher training back at Wittenberg, we had to do a lot of reflection and it just, it, like you said, it just becomes habit. And 
that's one of the things that has served me well throughout my career. Um, my, my professors would always say, whatever happens in the classroom, you're responsible for positive or negative. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't to blame. It was to remind you, you have, you have the ability to have an impact on what's going on in the classroom. So if your kids are rowdy, you don't like it, then you can change that. If you right. don't talk in, in class, you can change that. If you feel like you're doing hours and hours of grading, you can change that too and change how you structure your assignments or, or pace the, the work. Um, and then how that translates with the other, because we talked about parents and we talked about, or I'm sorry, we talked about teachers and students, but we really haven't talked about how what we do is like a middle between parents students and administrators, because there's a lot that you have to then articulate to your principals and help them understand that they may be missing. So what's, what's your kind of go-to thing to tell your principal, which is tricky because that's also your, your boss, so to speak. Right, right. Yes, yes, indeed. So one thing I just wanted to take back to what you were saying about your time at Wittenberg with whatever happens in the classroom you're responsible for. Um, in my education program, we were taught you were the leader of that classroom, <laughs> and you know, and I, you know, stunning to hear it placed that in that manner. But you really are. You know, there might be a child with some leadership skills, but they're not the adult. The the, the teacher is the adult in the classroom. You are the leader of the classroom, mm-hmm. and in much the same way that um, teachers are the leader of the classroom, and parents are the leaders of the family, and children are the leaders of themselves, <laughs> you know, the administrators are the leaders of the school. And um, mm-hmm. there have, you know, um, it's really important just to tell them the truth, whether they like mm-hmm. it or not. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's been something that has worked and had been, has been beneficial for me throughout my career that I, I just go ahead and tell them the truth, however it may be, whatever comes with it. Mm-hmm. And then um, as I've gotten older, I have had to add the line um, you know, please feel however you would like to about this, but this is what is going on. <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, I, I don't have time for alternative truths. You know, I'm like, I work for children. I love that. <laughs> you said, listen, you can feel how you want to feel. This is, this truth is not going to suddenly change because you're upset about it. And that is so true. Especially when you're telling leadership, like, Sometimes you have to tell them it's to the work expectation. When you look at how much homework everyone's giving, right. it's too much for kids to do. And, you know, you may have a principal that says, but we want to uphold our academic standards. And you're like, by killing everybody, by making everybody <laughs> <laughs> mentally unwell, like it's not going to change the fact that if it takes kids six hours to do homework, it's not going to change that as a fact. And that's not like the outliers. That's like the average. You know? Right, right. And then to take it to another level. Well, I mean, you know, when you leave here at whatever time you leave here, do you go home and work for six hours? You know, we know Ain't that's probably not true. More hours. Right, right. So why would you send a 12-year-old home with a backpack full of books that weighs more than they do and six hours worth of work? You know, we have to, you know, figure it out. And yes. um and that's something uh, that um, is a highlight of the role that I have, making sure that we understand how to figure it out. That more is not always better. Sometimes it's never you better. do, right? And you know, sometimes you have to 
um, you have some, those nights where you might have a little something that's yeah. going to take you some time, but, um, but, and then you have those nights where you might have um, little to nothing um, in a particular class, but that doesn't mean, you know, so we have to find the balance, but, um, but it doesn't mean that every night is, you know, a torture session for a young person and, and their parents. Because um, if the child is giving their parents a hard time about it, you know that they're coming back to school. The parents are going to come to the school and um, articulate their concerns. But then also that goes back to the handbook where, you know, in the old days, you know, the, the, uh, the handbook, um, the principal had no problem telling parents, put your child in a quiet room with no distractions and this, that, and the other. And Wait, you know, they the don't still do that? <laughs> well, you know, well, it's a little different. It's not as frank anymore. You know, I mean, I, people make that suggestion, but nowadays people don't, you know, it's, it's not the same. They don't live in the same world, you know, as when we started teaching back in the 90s where you- Hold on, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm going to take issue with that. Yes, yes. Noise is noise, distraction yes. for distraction. Yes. So how is that different from the 90s to now? Parents and children are different. People receive information differently now. People see it as an intrusion on their, you know, of their parenting. If you tell a parent they need a quiet room with no noise and um, no things, you know, in the old days, it might have been a ball and jack that was, you know, carrying a child away or a comic book. Nowadays, it might be a phone. It might be a video game that's calling a child away from their studies. And so, you know, they, you know, if we find some place for them to study, you know, we want that, but, and, um, but some of those, um, kind of old fashioned ideologies that, um, educators used to be able to share with parents on the large scale doesn't really happen as much as it used to because mm. of the tension between parents and schools. Mm. And, um, and you know, it's, it's, you know, we mean, well, we want the children to do well, but mm. sometimes people don't understand, um, meaning well so that they can be successful when they go to the school that they attend, <laughs> uh, as opposed to an uh, intrusion of their personal space and time. Well, I'm going to say, because it's my podcast and I can, any parent hearing this who thinks it's an intrusion is hearing it in not in the way that it's meant <laughs> because there are, I mean, you can Google it. You can go on and look up um, academic papers about distraction and distractibility. Mm-hmm. And especially if we consider, cause we're talking primarily about middle schoolers, the internal distraction cannot match the external distraction without us all having an expectation that something won't be, something's going to be missed. So I will say, because it's my podcast and I can, and I don't care if people get mad at me. I would say there are conditions that are best practices. Right. Now, so that's the first part. The second part is you can do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Because, like you said, the fact isn't going to change because you feel mad about it. And right. I understand, like you know, um, I think that's one of the the issues that people had with me at my my previous place of employment is that I I I would just say, you know, this isn't going to change because you don't want to do it. You know, um, I would have parents who would smoke pot in the house with their kids mm-hmm. in the room. And then not understand that it's the same air 
and that the the same impact on them will have yes. it on their middle school child. Yes. But their bodies are chemically different and right. at a different stage than their child. I'm not saying don't smoke pot. Whatever you do in your home is your business, but you have to have an understanding. We, even though times have changed, we as humans have not evolved to a point where there, there's just some biological facts that we haven't evolved away from. And that's why I suggest to parents not to give technology to children until, I mean, very sparingly until they're, I would prefer nine, but I'll say six, because they eventually, humans will evolve to catch up with that technology. But right now we haven't evolved that much. Mm -hmm. We're using, you know, like Adam and Eve era (laughs) equipment to understand like, you know, space invaders technology. Right. 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 Um, so there's there's just some things that, you know, are simple, plain facts. And that puts you and me between parents, kids and, and administrators in that weird space. Like, yeah. how do you how do you get parents to hear that? And then how do you because your your administrator doesn't want you to chase parents out or they don't want parents to be upset. But you want to do what's best for the kid. Yes. Because yes. to me, the start and end of the sentence is always that kid, right? Right, right, <laughs> right. Yes. No, I'm so glad you said that because, um, you know, uh, we work on behalf of the children. We foster the children when they come to the school. We want them to have a safe and warm environment when they come mm-hmm. on campus where they feel that they can learn and be successful. And we want the same for them at home. And our arms don't reach that far. But we do, you know, articulate this is what they do need, you know, when, when, when they're at home. And if we can, you know, find some sort of middle ground of um, we understand that things at, diff- things at home are different from uh, mm-hmm. things at school, just by virtue of there just being so many children at school. <laughs> but also this, the importance of um, when your child is in school, we want them to be ready. And you want them to be ready because that's part of their overall experience at school too. Mm-hmm. And um, and the support that comes with that is really important. And um, I think um, children of all ages from all backgrounds just really need to, you know, have that, um, you know, that, that kind of that schedule where things are, are set. They know what time they're getting up, what time they're um, going to bed. They know what, you know, they might not know what the meal is, but they know they're having you know, they might not know what the homework is, but they know they're having some and they know where they're going to do it and how long it's going to take them. And they know that they're safe and loved and well, and that when they get to school, they're safe and loved and well. And so that they they can blossom and grow. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's the thing that um, is uh, the bottom line for teachers. We we just want the children to be um, to be their best. And, but we want to make sure that their basic needs are met. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes those basic needs are something as simple as time and space. Mm-hmm. And what you're really talking, what you're really saying is conveying to parents and administrators that you're just talking about best practices, and everything on the table is optional, right? You know, but while we're at school, we are striving to do those best practices because we want. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is we want to create the optimum 
learning experience, optimal learning experience for kids. Yes. And whatever happens at home, you can try this, but you know, y'all grown, you can do what you want to do. Right. This is what we're we're suggesting. And this is what, you know, what works here. Right. And I I think that's a good, um, really good strategy, really good way to approach helping parents and teachers and administrators understand the complexity of bridging that home to school. Yes. Yes. And, and that, you know, at the end of the day, when we look at our children, we're probably all heading in the same direction. And, and, and that being the, the success of the child. And we might not both be getting there the same way. And, but we, we don't want the child to ever know that there was that friction. We want the child to know that there's, um, that, that we're all on their team and we mm-hmm. look to see them do their absolute best and whatever we can do to support them, we will do. Yeah. Well, I think that is a fantastic place to end our conversation because it's true. We want everyone to do their absolute best. Um, one last thing, I guess, is there one last piece of advice that you would have for parents of middle schoolers or administrators of um, schools that are middle school? Okay, I, I will take that in two different um, <laughs> two different areas. So, so for parents, um, uh, I would say you know just you know, support your child um, in in the way that they need to be supported at this time in their life. Mm-hmm. As opposed to 10 years from now when they're done with college, you know, 10 years ago when they needed you more. (laughs) Right. Right. So at this time in their life, because, you know, it's middle school, they're kind of the, you know, the the middle child of education, if you will. And, um, you know, they, but we want them to feel that they are just as important as they were when they were the small child or the child who's graduating. Mm -hmm. And that, so to support them for right now at this phase in their life. Mm-hmm. And for um, the um, administration, um, I would say just, you know, be perfectly honest with what you're dealing with. You know, mm-hmm. um, we're dealing with um, young people who are in the middle of their schooling, their formal education. Um, they're Some of them are, you know, going to excel and do really well academically. And some of them are going to struggle. And some of them are going to move just right along and they're going to be okay. But to make sure that there is consistency and honesty mm-hmm. and that everybody on campus feels that they belong on that campus, mm-hmm. that there is a place for every child, mm-hmm. every parent, mm-hmm. every teacher, and every administrator, mm-hmm. and that that makes the school whole and a healthy place for everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you so much for talking to me and having me today. This has been a delight. So that's our conversation for today. I hope you found some information that was interesting or a perspective that you hadn't thought of. If you like what you heard, or even if you have some feedback, put a comment in our comment section. Be sure to like our page and make sure that you subscribe so that you can hear when the next video comes out. Thanks so much again for joining us.